1: up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you
2: want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code listen at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code listen.
3: ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend.
1: Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse
3: Crookshank.
1: I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend.
3: Girl. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the November 2020 edition of the Horror and Lit Club. Today, we are talking about Unsounded, a graphic novel by Ashley Cope and the uh, wonderful, <laughs> awful, great, and terrible remake of House on Haunted Hill. That is the 1999 remake starring Jeffrey Rush, uh, Jeffrey Combs, One irritating guy from SNL And Tay Motherfucking digs Uh, How are you guys doing? I, I hope you're all wonderful out there This is the second time I'm having this exact same conversation with you Because the first time I stopped paying enough attention To my time And I went over the typical Allotment And um accidentally overloaded my computer which shut down the recording session prematurely losing all of the recorded data just just the worst everybody just just the absolute worst but i hope you're all doing good out there it's about to be the holidays it's about to be a lot of super spreader events the plague is the plague is is is, is spreading its tendrils into the people it is mutating it is growing stronger you are in a horror movie, and I hope you're having um, as good of a time as you can in that sort of situation. Me, myself, I've had a, I've had a few bright spots recently, the most important of which is that I, uh, I managed to start writing again. Jesus Christ, um, uh, this is the longest gap, the longest creative gap I've had. Um. In 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 years, Jesus. I didn't. Well, I did. <laughs> I say I didn't write anything, but I actually I, I took a, a, a stay of continuance on uh, what may or may not be next season's story, from July or June. Yeah, June or July, all the way up until last week. And of course, in that time, I had a whole wedding. Um, I had to launch this season. I had to make a lot of big decisions and other things have been happening and you know on top of all that, we have the uh, we have to uh you know do do business stuff. This is a small business that I run as as bizarre as that is. I'm a small business owner. so you know i've got I've got to fulfill Patreon. Uh, duties. I've got to send out merch. I've got to mail this. I've got to mail that. I've got to pretend like I'm doing any marketing at all to try to grow the podcast, which I am. I am not because that is not my forte. Um, and so we remain small and cozy and comfortable with me and you, few thousand wonderful folks out there who listen. And I, I love you all for it. And By the way, if you like the podcast, if you like hearing me talk. Uh, consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash westsidefairytales, where just $1 gets you early access to all episodes. And $5 or more gets you uh, access to special PDFs, behind the scene, or behind the story, uh, mini episodes, and, and a variety of other other wonderful things. And then after $10, you just, we just start sending you merch. Stickers, bookmarks, things you can touch, little bits of the show that you can hold in your hand and feel. They're, they're wonderful. And uh, if you get a second, check us out on, uh, on, on, on westsidefairytales.com slash merch, and you can see some of the stuff that we've got there. Hit it up, make a purchase, and uh, you know, buy something for your family, for yourself, for, um, for, for the people that haven't come into your life yet. But on your first date, you want to say, hey, I've been thinking of this for years, years now. How we would be sitting here across from each other, eyes locked. And I brought this West Side Fairy Tales t-shirt for you, and that wonderful new person in your life will say, Yes, the deal has been settled. Or something like that. I don't know. Maybe it'll be a maybe it'll be a more normal first date, and then you get them some merch afterwards. I leave the ball in your court. Um before we get into uh, the the crux of the episode the recommendations which I mentioned a few minutes ago um, let me talk about some stuff uh, that I've been I've been reading I've been watching uh, and in that time this time it is the Hannibal series series hannibal um mid 2010s uh, show that originally aired on I believe FX here in the Americas. Don't know if any of you Brits out there, or you Canadians, are allowed to have it. It is like all things American, almost completely desexualized and just wonderfully, wonderfully violent. And um, I've I've just been I've just been drowning in the show. Me and my wife finished the second season as of uh, the recording of this episode, and and just two seasons in. Um, I can strongly, strongly recommend this show. It is on its surface, and, 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 and by all intentions, this is a deceit, a um, police procedural of sorts. You know, it's, hey, we got to go catch Hannibal, as well as a variety of other serial killers, Hannibal being, of course, the, uh, the, the 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 needs-no-introduction, I believe, legendary serial killer and eater of human flesh from such notable works by Thomas Harris as Silence of the Lambs, Hannibal, uh, yeah, and um, Red Dragon, where he first made his appearance, and I believe that book came out sometime in the 1970s, 1975. Possibly it was followed up by the... Um, Critically well received, I believe. Uh, Manhunter, starring some people who I don't know, and um, eventually the uh, much lauded Silence of the Lambs, starring Sir Anthony Hopkins, O B E B Y G Y G O B G Y N. I don't know. Uh, the Queen likes him. He's a creepy old. He's a creepy old British. Man And um, yeah, he won, I believe, the Oscar for best performance for playing um, Hannibal Lecter, a 15-ish minute role in an almost two hours or more long movie for which he was very well rewarded and which shot the character of Hannibal Lecter into the popular spotlight forever. Um, I have always loved Hannibal Lecter uh, as a character and uh, as a concept. He he's pretty wonderful. I really consider him the ultimate clarification of what is good about Dracula. Um, in a very austere sense, he is he is like a, a statue um, of. Not necessarily evil, but of all of the things which invariably many cultures across the the face of the globe would consider evil, while also being tied into indelibly along with that, most all of the things which cultures across the face of the world would consider good. He is refined, he's educated, he is polite if not somewhat condescending at times he has an eye for the finer things as well as an ability to appreciate them not just for their aesthetic appeal but also for their greater artistic merit which makes him an extremely interesting person a wonderful conversationalist and if you're not rude you know maybe a, a semi infrequent uh, host of very fine dinners most of which are meat based and you know on the on the flip side of things he is a not necessarily even cold, but a temperatureless killing machine, unexcited by blood, really, or the prospect of it killing is just a means to an end, and as much as he enjoys drawing or 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 um, cooking or various other artistic pursuits, killing to him is uh, likewise merely a measure of which to, um, or a, a means of which to, to measure the skill of his hands. I really, really enjoy Hannibal for that, and I'm really happy to say that I enjoyed the show. It threw me for a loop at first. What I thought it was going to be was another police procedural, and I, I do not like pr- police procedurals. Um, I, I appreciate them. I did like them, and now that I have seen so many of them, I'm now I'm completely good. I've been a nerd. It's something like romantic comedies. You know what I mean. Everybody's got like maybe three romantic comedies in them in their life, and if that's not like something that really just is the the guilty pleasure, the ice cream on a long lonely night, uh, then you don't need to see any more any more uh, Sweet Home Alabama's or or, or She's the One. Or Bridget Jones Jones's Diaries, or or whatever. Which, on on a side note, do they make rom coms anymore? I'm pretty sure they do, but they definitely, I definitely don't see them advertised in any way that is uh, very prominent. As opposed to when I was growing up in the 90s, uh, there seemed to be a rom com that was going to be the the, the, the event of the season. And I'm really, really glad that those aren't uh, something that people are trying to get you to watch. I love the fact that my wife is a person that finds romantic comedies stultifying and uh, uh, more boring and unpalatable than even I do. So I don't ever have to watch them. It's, it's pretty wonderful. But um, I thought that uh, this was going to be yet another police procedural. And every police procedural, for some reason, aside from Law & Order, uh, basically, and maybe like CSI, the the harder science CSI is not CSI Miami. Um, they all need to have their Sherlock or their version of a Sherlock, the Sherlock, which you know is, is sometimes is just absolutely a Sherlock Holmes clone, a uh, a Cerbic, usually to some degree, uh, drug or alcohol addled. Genius in the vein of Sherlock Holmes or House MD or, you know, just like a million other Sherlock knockoffs and, and, and various other versions of it. And, you know, you have ones that are are not Sherlock's, but they are instead uh, something absurd. Pet detectives. Um, uh, Monk is um, has an OCD. The guy from Psych is actually just a really good detective, but he presents to be a psychic. Things like that. You always need your goddamn Sherlock, and your Sherlock needs his Watson. And um, this is kind of framed very uh duplicitously, as though it is going to be that with Hannibal being something of the uh, Sherlock, with Will Graham, supporting character, um, being his, uh, his 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 Watson. Will Graham's played by Hugh Dancy. Mads Mikkelsen is Hannibal Lecter, and he's an absolute treat the entire time he's on the scene. He's fucking amazing. Uh, And then we have a a, a, a rogues gallery of of supporting characters, the most notable being Lawrence Fishburne. Old Morpheus himself is Jack Crawford, the head of the behavioral sciences unit at the FBI. And uh, he's Will Graham's boss. Will Graham... Uh, and all of these characters are characters that you may recognize their names from uh, the books or the movies. You know they have they have um, Freddie Lowndes, who in this version is a, a, a woman, and um, uh, Mason Verger shows up at a certain point, which I won't get into. But uh, Lawrence Fishburne is Jack Crawford, who is the um, the the head of the Behavioral Sciences Unit. As I said. And uh, they, they kind of go around for the first few episodes of the first season solving crimes, but um, the, with the uh, assistance of Hannibal Lecter, who was a noted psychologist at the time and who no one expects uh, is the, or suspects, is the uh, famed serial killer, the Chesapeake Ripper. A guy who is known for taking surgical trophies, quote-unquote, from the people that he very violently and artistically kills the the deviation most notably is it uh, starts coming when uh, the the line between killers and killies, um sort of starts to blur after the first couple episodes and I won't get into spoilers or anything, but you very soon find out that the uh, the whole police procedural thing is um, at best a sham and at worst uh, a mere framing device. For for episodes, not, not even really a framing device, but uh, more of just like a plot lubricant for for the much more interesting things in the show. The show itself, what it really is, is kind of a uh, a, a large scale um, sneering, grinning, laughing at itself exploration of philosophy and art and a lot of different philosophical quandaries, such as what is identity? And and what is the value of, of artistic creation? What is the value of God in a world that needs no God? What is the value of God to a man that needs no God or, or thinks of himself as God? And uh, a lot of these questions are gone into and answered um, or given multiple answers to by the characters and by their actions and i think what really is the best thing about this show is just how fucking stylish it is uh, before i i i can I, I suggested it it starts off looking like something of a police procedural and if you if you need clarification for that term i apologize uh, police procedural is quite literally a a story where the procedure police follow to Locate, arrest, and uh, and and incarcerate to some degree a person's guilt. Person's guilty of crimes um, is followed from the start to the finish. So it's usually um, a, 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 a throw it up and knock it out of the park. It's quite literally the fiction, uh, the fictional version of true crime uh, podcast, which is why it has such staying power. It follows the exact same. Um, sort of rhythm that most all true crime podcasts follow there is a kill there is some sort of notification to the authorities that a kill or or a crime has happened and then you begin the 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 investigation you know you have your your characters are revealed um sort of spread out you have a few main possibilities a few subsequent possibilities evidence is gathered realize, poured over, uh, re-investigated, and eventually conclusions are are wrapped up, and um, the, the, the chase portion begins after the hunt ends, and that can be anything from a guy making a mistake and getting caught to uh, usually something along the lines of a guy kicking down a door with a gun in his hand and, Hey, hey, put it down, put it down. And there's always somebody saying, I've got to keep killing them. Put it down. Don't do it. Don't do it. And then you have the little after effects. This is a little bit of a deviation from true crime, but it's still kind of the same same thing. The summation by the uh, persons or people involved, Uh, depending on how it ends. Usually the most common one, the CSI, or the uh, law and order one is... uh, Usually a series of one-liners or or something like, what do you think he really got out of all this? Sometimes you can never really know, but I'll tell you one thing. He won't be eating ribs again. (laughs) Something like that and that that's that's how a police procedural goes they are uh by the book um very much in the same vein as like cozy mysteries where if you if you deviate too much from the pattern you will upset people who expect the pattern they will write horrible horrible things on your Yelp page this is not that although it does start out that way um and i I haven't seen the entire show yet. We have one season left. But the first two seasons are more than sufficiently together as a pair. They wrap up so perfectly. I feel like just a description, just a discussion of just those two is perfectly fine. Um, there, there's a very much a sense, and you get this also in the aesthetics, that this is the kind of story that Hannibal Lecter would tell you. Uh, being misled and being misled in a way that you not only that you don't expect, but that you uh, enjoy or that very much manifests itself as a, as a part of you the, the, to, to where, the point where you, you kind of willingly become the lie about yourself is, is a major ongoing theme uh, for both Hannibal and the main characters who are or were at times befriending or hunting or, or or speaking with him. And in that way this story which starts as, you know, there's a very clear line, there are good guys, there are bad guys, and the good guys must use certain tools and they, you know, they they cross their little lines and and they make their little mistakes, but but at the end of the day, the uh the dangerous dangerous risks that they take pay off the benefit of of Joe Taxpayer. The bad guy gets caught. The murderer gets shot. The girl gets saved, which is quite literally the end of the very first investigation without, it's quite literally ruining nothing. Um, And as you get deeper into it, you realize that uh, you know, all of this is really kind of a massive illusion and um you know there's a lot of dreamscapes and and all that sort of stuff but it's all happening but how you are experiencing what happens is not quite the way that you you should be understanding it you know what i mean Uh, the good guys maybe aren't quite so good the bad guys maybe aren't quite so bad well or or maybe are at times uh just not even what you thought they were, where, where you stand and where you don't stand. All of these things get blurred to the point where uh, towards the end of the second season, a uh, character that only has about three total appearances on scene comes in. She's a, a high-ranking FBI person and actually like takes in all of the things that have happened over the last several months that this takes place. And is like, are you all... Serious, like, do you not understand how insane this is? And you know, depending on how much you get into the show, you might kind of get caught up with it. And that is very much something that's along the uh, the feel of 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 Hannibal Lecter, who is a a, um, very much a chess player throughout the entirety of this show. And I won't give away the um, the late season reveals for either of the seasons. But um, style, as I mentioned before, is a massive, massive part of this show. And it is so fucking stylish. Um, it is very artistic. Start to finish. Uh, not, there's not a single scene, really, that doesn't feel aesthetic to some degree. Especially when you get into the later seasons, and really, in my feel of how how I how I understand this, when when Hannibal Lecter's influence really really manifests, and you stop being part of that police procedural show, and you just you're, you're just in Lecter's world, um, the stylisticness or the stylishness of everything, the the stylistic flourishes, are just. Uh, constant and, and really just wonderful. Uh, it, it, the whole show is a treat for the eyes. Uh, first off, everybody is dressed to the nines. And I don't just mean in expensive suits. Anyone can have an expensive suit. I think quite literally there are maybe three or four people that are ever even in a suit that's just a black and white suit in this entire show. Much less anything that's a more boring pattern. There are no gray suits. Uh, everybody is wearing just like to the nines patterns. are got just these these wondrous color palettes: blues, reds, browns, greens. Uh, just it, it's absolutely mad how well dressed everybody is, and how much the their their the colors of their uh, entire getup from their their skin to their clothing, uh, to sometimes the blood that's covering them or the viscera or whatever, all is uh, part of a greater palette that is expanded into the sets around them. And a lot of the sets are extraordinarily exquisite. Um particularly in the later seasons when you get to see some people with money and there's a more more reasonable expectation that they should be afford, able to afford some ostentatious rooms. But, uh, you know, sometimes you, you they kind of just are like, yeah, it's a public pool, but why why couldn't the bathroom look like this? And you're like, I, I don't mind, <laughs> very much I prefer this, or maybe not even a public pool, but just any kind of pool on earth, why the fuck would the back area look like that? And you just don't care because it's so amazing. Um, It's very clear, very clear from start to finish that the people that they hired for for set dressing and mise-en-scene are just absolute studies, voracious devourers of Renaissance and uh, and Baroque area uh, paintings. Um, You very much see the Italian it there. Uh, there's a lot of, a lot of Dutch influence in my opinion, which is, you know, you can see it in these like very wonderful sfumato uh, feeling scenes where the, uh, the, the light is almost like it's, it's, it's oil patterned onto the skin. It's just uh, bleeds out. And then in, in addition to that, not only do they have the older, uh, arts, which they which they lean in heavily on. Um, like I was talking about the Dutch, you can see a lot of uh, famous, I, I can't remember the names off the top of my head, um, mostly because they are Dutch names, probably something like Vandermeer, I think, Vermeer. Uh, there's a lot of those styles of, uh, help me now, Lord, <laughs> uh, still lifes present in almost all of the dinner table settings that uh, Hannibal presents his meals around. And if you are a foodie, you will be simultaneously disgusted and entranced by every meal that's placed on a table in this show. It is really just a delight to see the kind of things he makes from prosciutto roses to extraordinarily rare uh dry aged goat leg dishes where the the leg is sliced at the table obviously this is it's all animal protein all the time even fish is rarely indulged in but it is its own uh its own thing it it it's quite it's quite the wild trip but you can you can really see all of these influences kind of expanding out and also, um, you know, the new media stuff, the camera work is exceptional. There are a lot of wonderful shots. There's a lot of uh, inventive or or even avant-garde shots in this that you would not typically expect from um, a basic cable network or I guess, is that basic cable? Yeah, FX is basic cable. Um, or at least you know, from back in the day, it is it is it is stuff that is very,, uh, if not cutting edge, at least, it is explicit of the higher understandings that people have of how to light and set a scene and how to have their actors move around. There's a good mix of closed shots and open shots. There's a lot of, I can talk about how wonderful, and I'll get back to this a little bit later in one of our recommendations how wonderful the uh the the scenes are the settings are because they really do let a lot of these shots breathe and even if it's only for a good 30 seconds or so while people are having a conversation you can really take in the room and they'll return to shots that kind of let you notice more and more details and these these sets are just amazing uh and they do one there's one particularly interesting thing that I'll talk about before I, I sort of wrap this up that I like and that is the uh consolidation the absolute consolidation of the federal bureau of investigations entire investigative apparatus into uh three people for the entirety of the show um People who, and this is something you'll notice if you pick up Hannibal, hard science and hard investigation and direct facts and all of that stuff have, have little purpose here other than that they are uh, necessary punctuation for the sentences. Other than that, they are disregarded Utterly, <laughs> between three characters who um, whose names I, I can't really remember off the top of my head. They are basically the last three members of the main cast that you can call main cast. I would almost call them recurring characters. Uh, there are, are two men and a woman who um, are, are at times... Technology analysts, uh, all of them have some degree of forensic pathology experience. They are all anatomists. They are all uh, talented uh, dissectors of bodies and uh, both both human and animal uh, for the purposes of, of investigating crimes. They they have all of the skills. Um, which is obviously not how it works in real life. You have you have your person who preter- performs your autopsy, and they work with other pathologists and stuff to, you know, share information and agree on details. You, you will not have your the person that's running your autopsy, also doing metallurgical samples on, on removed chunks of, of bullet. Uh, they will not also be running genetic tracing, <laughs> on on bee venom. <laughs> and uh, on top of that, all of those people will more than likely not be traveling out into the field with guns on their hips. A lot of well-armed people in this show. But like I said, everything that is crime-oriented serves only to serve, serves only, exists only to serve, there we go, the, uh, the greater... Um...
1: Selling a little?
3: I would say uh, the greater conceit of Hannibal Lecter being one of the coolest dudes ever, Uh, (laughs) as well as one of the most vile and dangerous. He is, uh, he's, he's, he's wonderfully awful without being sneering. And by the end of the second season, I think uh, it would be, it would be hard for many people to say they wouldn't like to be his friend to some degree, or it wouldn't at least want to be trying to be his friend for a number of reasons, not necessarily to get into, get yourself into his good graces, but possibly at least to keep yourself from falling out of them and uh, onto his butcher block. With all that said, I, I strongly suggest you check out Hannibal. And I'm going to get into uh, our our first ad, uh, of, of the first of our, our two ads for today, um, and that is from Manscaped. Uh, if you guys don't know what Manscaped is, Manscaped is a company that prides themselves on 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 men and, and people with male genitalia just having the 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 bee's knees when it comes to taking off those trousers. And you know, Hey, it's about to be, it's about to be deep winter season. All of you who are, are married out there know that it's, uh, it's about to be time to, you know, cuddle up to your, to your spouses. Um, and, uh, also to be giving people the kind of gifts that'll make cuddling up a lot easier <laughs> if you're, if you're into that sort of thing still. Um, Manscaped has a new lawnmower 3.0 ball trimmer, which it's going to help you tame that wookie you got hanging out in your pants and improve the overall look and feel of your sack game. I spend all day sitting down, um, and I, you know, I, I guess maybe a few of you do too out there. And you know, um, if you're if you're a dude like me, that means that you got to do a little bit uh, of extra maintenance down there, or maybe just honestly, let's be honest, guys. Any maintenance at all, um, ladies seem to be uh, have been outdoing us in that um, for for a very long time. And it's time to reciprocate. It is. It is time to reciprocate. And uh, you know, if you're nervous, this lawnmower 3.0. It's 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 the top of the line thing. 7,000 rpm motor. It's got a little ceramic cutter on it instead of a metal one, so you won't nick yourself. You won't get snagged, which has happened to me before, and it was a fucking nightmare. Happened to me before, like like Don't like it's only happened once. I used the thing, uh, and now you guys know that I've used the thing, and it worked perfectly, man. And they can have they have a lot of other products too. They got some really really comfortable underwear. They've got t shirts if you just want to get a t shirt, and uh, they also have uh, some 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 ball area deodorant and and basically like a, a little sort of action spray for a top up if you know you 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 do a lot of uh you do a lot of sweaty work or you got a particularly nasty grundle you can slap some of that on after you get out of the shower and you can stay fresh all day if this is interesting to you at all or if you just want to do me a favor go to manscaped.com and if you end up buying something today go and use code westside at checkout for 20% off and free shipping, and let me tell you, this is one of those things where if you're looking for like a hilarious white elephant gift, but it's like one of those gag gifts that you know you're gonna like, like somebody's gonna be like, okay, that was a gag gift, but dude, I use that all the time. This is it. It comes in a gigantic box. When you open it, it says like, "Our your balls will thank you." Funniest fucking box I've ever opened in my life. And uh, you know, if you wanna, if you wanna open some box yourself. Maybe Manscaped down there <laughs> Again Go to Manscaped.com Use code Westside at checkout W-E-E-S-T-S-I-D-E And you'll get 20% off And free shipping Manscaped.com Code Westside Make your testies their besties Manscaped Now I'm going to get back to it And, uh, and, and we're going to pretend that that wasn't As awkward as maybe it was For some of you <laughs> Our, uh, our first recommendation today is House on Haunted Hill, the 1999 remake uh, of, of House on Haunted Hill, which was originally made in 1959. And that movie starred the inimitable Vincent Price. You may remember him from the intro of What's New Scooby-Doo. I cannot do. I can do a lot of voices. I cannot fucking do Vincent Price. I can't. He's completely, he's completely out of my uh, out of my range. I don't know why. I don't know if my voice is not low enough, or possibly not high enough. But I digress. This movie, um, this is the first scary movie, really. I think uh, like the in, first in horror movie that I, I really ever saw. On purpose, and I think I was well. It's 1999, so I was at least 12 when it came out. I probably saw it when I was 12. Um, the movie stars Jeffrey Rush as Stephen H. Price, who is a, a perfect knockoff of Vincent Price. It's it's fucking hilarious. And then a series of people who I, I can't even remember exactly who they are in the film. Uh, Famke Janssen as Evelyn Stockard Price. Peter Gallagher as Donald W. Blackburn, MD. Chris Katan, I can remember because he's Chris Katan, as Watson Pritchett, that is the uh, son of the former owner of the property or the current owner, uh, caretaker, something. He's, uh, he's the guy that has the keys to the front door. Allie Larder as Sarah Wolf. Bridget Wilson as Melissa Margaret Marr. Max Perlick as Carl Schechter. The wonderful Jeffrey Combs, that's the man, the myth. The legend himself, Herbert West reanimator, Jeffrey Combs as Dr. Richard Benjamin Vanicutt, a a neurotic goof-goof that um, I like. He's one of my favorite characters running around during the show. Lisa Loeb as Channel 3 reporter, James Marsters as Channel 3 cameraman, and Peter Graves as himself. Um, Like I said, this is one of the first real horror movies I ever saw. Like with the intention of like, I'm gonna watch a horror movie today. And for sure one of the first that I can I can really remember seeing. Uh I, I think I'd like kind of snuck other ones, but I hadn't seen them all the way through. Or, you know, I watched some dog shit version of a of a of a cut up movie on on cable or or something of that nature at somebody's house on you know thanksgiving whatever but this is the first horror movie i i distinctly remember seeing start to finish tied to a degree actually with the haunting which came out the same year and uh that is a uh a movie that is based on the haunting of hill house by shirley jackson which i i think i talked about it uh to a degree Last year, when I talked about that show, Haunting of Hill House, this, uh, so these two movies came out at the same time. So you have House on Haunted Hill and The Haunting, which is based uh, on The Haunting of Hill House, which is not confusing at all and um, probably didn't lead to any, any, any odd circumstances back when the film came out. Um, The, the film's pretty wild and it's, it's, I will say this, it's not good. Don't don't watch this expecting it to be a particularly uh, well-made film. Oh, and I forgot the last person in the cast is Tay Diggs as Eddie Baker in, in a standout role as the most hilariously hot dude, surrounded by a just a cast of, of mediocre people. <laughs> it's 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 odd how uh how strange Tay Diggs. Is in this in this in this movie? Um, I love him. So uh, the the plot of this is that in the 1930s, the patients of the Vanicott Psychiatric Institute for the criminally insane, the Hill House in question, uh, they go crazy. That's how the movie starts. It's a big uh, big riot. The place gets burnt down, and uh, with basically all of the staff and the patients still inside. And then we fast forward to 1999, where we meet Evelyn Stockard Price, who is in a disintegrating marriage with Stephen Price, our Jeffrey Rush stand-in for Vincent Price, who is, by the way, literally a spitting image of Vincent Price. Something I would have never picked up on as a kid, but when I was re-watching this with my wife um, a few months ago, I was... I, I could not stop laughing once I realized well, I was like, what, what, is this guy supposed to be Vincent Price?" And then I realized he's like, "Oh no, yes, I am supposed to be Vincent Price." And for that alone, the movie is worth watching. Uh, it, it, it's, it's really just amazing. Um, they are they're on the rocks, right? Uh, Steven Price is a How do I say this? He is an amusement park mogul, which is a, a thing. Uh, in, in the 1990s, people could have jobs like that. I don't know who would be, who would be starting up amusement parks from nothing. Uh, but I guess amusement parks were more of a novelty in the 90s. I do remember seeing advertisements for them more often. I think, I think people don't find them impressive as much anymore. I don't know but um, he's an amusement park mogul and his amusement parks are are horrifying and uh, fake dolls or uh, uh, dummies get beheaded and disemboweled and lose arms on on the roller coaster while you're on it with them. And it's this whole nightmarish thing. During this, one of the most unexplained scenes in any movie happens so there is a thing where it's supposed to be frightening that the rails disconnect and a car shoots off the tracks and then they reconnect you know and that's supposed to scare the people that are, are presumably close enough to see that happen and then the rails reconnect chunk right and then it's safe for another uh another car to go and this is at the top of a hill and this is a metal roller coaster which if you've never played roller coaster tycoon and you should really get on that the way that uh cars stay on the rails after g-force is they have to have wheels on the bottom so you know the wheels on the bottom hold it uh, onto the tubular steel track as it goes over the curve and that kind of in your seat holds you into the car and then it goes back down the hill so that's fine. Uh, what the fuck is that? What the fuck happens to that car when it flies off of the hill? And if you end up watching this and it's, it's never fucking addressed by anybody. And I swear to God, I've seen this movie probably 15, 20 times because you know, this is from the era of VHS kids. Uh, if you had a movie, you watched it until the fucking tape broke, <laughs> especially if you were broke. Um, and this is one of my family's movies. Uh, one, of my, one of my uncle's. It was, a, it, was a, it was a ride. But if you ever watched this movie, watch that part and please tell me what you think happened. Because it looks like they just shuttle a fucking, a probably $15,000, $5,000 uh, multi-seat amusement park railroad or fucking, uh, sorry. What the hell are these things called? Roller coaster car. Just They just shuttle it off into, the, into space. It just flies off the track and then down out of the scene. And then the track rejoins and just destroys all concepts of gravity by rejoining this other thing um, and, and manages to to, to take on the, the weight of the following cars. And no one ever addresses it. It's actually, I wonder if they do it on purpose just because it's so ridiculous. But if you ever watch that, please, please. That is one of my most standout, what the fuck just happened there, scenes. Even when I was a kid, I rewatched it. Like, how? How? I digress. Six or er, six people are going are receive invitations to uh, Evelyn's birthday party to be held, I presume, that night um, in the uh, eponymous house on Haunted Hill, which is just called the whatever Institute. I, I don't know why the haunted the hill is not haunted. The house is haunted. The hill's fine. The hill's just fucking hill. Um, and and the the, the house itself. Is the most wonderful, gigantic, 10 story tall uh, tombstone of like neoclassical uh, architecture ever. It is very much that uh, raconteur style art deco. I meant to say art deco. <laughs> it's uh, this, this huge art deco style thing. And, and that, that style, continues on inside. But six, million, six people are offered a million dollars to stay inside the house for the night. And uh, we find out soon after that uh, none of the six people that showed up are the six people that were supposed to show up. However, um, it is uh, implied that a few of them actually know each other for, for uh, subtle and interesting and evil means. Or, you know, they get their own little side plots, basically. Although it never really goes anywhere, you would expect that it kind of would turn into something along the lines of, like, Clue, where everyone's like, you know, oh, Colonel Mustard? Colonel Mustard from Vancouver, Colonel Mustard? The disgraced Colonel Mustard of the Banana Republic in South France? Yes, you, you, you've heard of me. No, I've never heard of you before. And then you're like, oh, cool, that's interesting. What the fuck's going on over there? That wasn't a particularly cogent example, but I, you know, you got to come up with these things off the top of your head, and they're not always going to be perfect. But the uh, the plot is that they all have to stay in, and a lot of them are like, "Well, no, you know, maybe maybe a million dollars, but uh, we'll." <laughs> um, oh, what I, this guy's name always just escapes me, even though it shouldn't. Like, why is it? it it's just leaking out of my head. Chris Catan, the other guy from Night at the Roxbury, as as he probably is loath to be remembered. Chris Catan's character is like, no, the place is evil. We gotta leave. We gotta leave. The place is evil. Wah. And then uh, something happens. I can't remember exactly what. And uh, all of the shutters close. Um, There's hilariously thick steel shutters on all of the doors and windows. And everybody's trapped inside. Vincent Price then hands out handguns. <laughs> And uh, we find out that he's kind of wired the place up with a ton of cameras, and uh, maybe a few spooks and scares to to scare everybody because that's what he he gets off on. He likes he likes scaring people. Um, but we soon find out that Chris Catan was probably right, and uh, you know people start people start disappearing, people start dying, and it becomes this whole uh, this whole thing. <laughs> Tay Diggs being in this is probably the best part because Tay Diggs is hilariously handsome compared to everybody else that's in this he's really not the kind of guy you would want uh to to have in a horror movie um usually and you know this is this is a product of the dawson's creek style casting that they did for um, a lot of these 90s horror films where they they kind of had like little handsome people like little cute cute people um even though i i prefer i, I think and, you know, I mean this in like the uh, handsome or cute or pretty in in the, the, the cover of like a teen magazine. Good looking, you know, uh, not not the kind of good looking that um, I prefer in, in a horror movie, which is usually maybe kind of like not at all. Uh, I, I like my people a little worn down. Jeffrey Combs is about as good looking as I need anybody in a horror movie to be. Because it becomes kind of distracting. Uh, unless you're going for a certain type of feel. And that's where I think the problems with this movie really start to arise. It's Tay Diggs' fault. Now he's actually the best he's actually one of the best parts of the movie just because he looks he looks so out of place because he's like really in shape and like confident and good looking. He's one of the protagonists, the one of the main protagonists, too. But everybody else is like um uh, they're these good horror sub characters. They're they're mincing. They're deceitful. They're weird. They're creepy. They're they're not all put together. And then Tay Diggs, He just looks like he's about to uh, punch ghosts in the face. Man, he's he's the shit. Um. But yeah, this movie is. There was a great movie to be made here, and I hope maybe that somebody retries it soon because you know we had that same year we had The Haunting, which was a terrible adaptation of a Shirley Jackson film and uh, House on Haunted Hill can be the terrible adaptation of uh, the 1959 movie, so why not, hey, Netflix, why not try? Why not try? What this movie does really good is uh, it's it's like mise-en-scene. The scene setting, the dressing of everything is pretty great. The dressing of the characters, not that wonderful, except for, of course, The Vincent Price stand in. Jeffrey Rush's Vincent Price stand in is quite literally just traipsing around in a fucking smoking jacket and a little pencil mustache, sounding like Vincent Price. Um, And he's wonderful. His wife pretty much works in her role. She's like kind of like a drunk. Femme Fatale is dangerous. She's kind of just a drunk, pretty decent looking middle-aged woman uh femme fatale i feel like should have like her makeup needs to be really on point and I, I don't think her this is that case the case for that lady just these are my own these are my own personal subjective opinions but uh i digress um the rest of the characters are kind of just dressed in like 90s clothes and 90s clothes are uh, in my opinion the worst of all clothes for everyone but children they're just baggy baggy dog shit that's what 90 clo- 90s closes are uh, and you know it's shapeless formless It makes everybody look a little a little unwell um, but this the, the the set itself is really wonderful and it's actually got like a feel to it and I, I think of it as almost like you can feel how alive the building is from the the visceral guts of the place where where we really get into it you know you, you start. In the forum, the atrium, you come in it's this wonderful Art Deco glass and copper and these thin lines and these big, flat, brutalistic planes and all of it's broken up by like scroll work and there's huge glass windows. And then, you know, once we get kind of cooking and we have to go down to the bowels of the prison, they're much more dark and grimy the the human touch is is is, is easier it's either uh, sorry it's either light or or wholly overdone you know it's it's rough hewn rock and and moldering rusting rotting doors and uh, big big fucking just cables and 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 stuff's draped in black everything's everything's greasy. It all looks like if you touch it, it'll get on your clothes. And as we get deeper into the, the both the plot and the... The the, the the pacing and, and, and story itself uh, you get up into the, the the lofted heights of this place which are like its brain is 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 um, the, the the heart of the clockwork is, is is all rusted and dusty and and ill-used and crushing against itself and cranking itself to pieces and eventually disintegrating and destroying the greater structure beneath yeah, it's wonderful. But the, the bad thing is, is this is a fucking 90s movie. And you know, not all 90s movies are like this, but it is a, a broad problem. Um, wacky camera. I don't know if it was just like somebody was just handing out cams in that era and just like, like hey man, could you like... Twist this camera while you're looking at somebody. So every every like shock has to be somebody zooming up on somebody's face and and twisting the camera. That kind of stuff. Zooming this way, zooming that way. There's not a lot of good solid fixed camera angles and, and and people kind of getting to to do stuff. There's there's some, but there's a lot of times when I was watching that which I, where I was just like, man, I wish you would just chill out. The camera does not need to be in this scene. Uh, the camera is not an actor. You can just let it just let him sit this one out and just watch so that we can just watch. Um, and that's just that's a 90s thing, man. Uh, you know, sometimes in some movies it's well done. Uh, most notably I would say Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. They do that that one uh, 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 camera very well. But because they're on fucking drugs the whole time, it's you know these, these dudes are fucking cracking out adrenochrome in a in a dilapidated fucking Las Vegas hotel room while they're all strung out and shit. So of course the camera's doing big wide angle zooms up to people's faces and rocking slowly side to side like a like a ship getting ready to list in a storm. But in this movie, it's not that it's not that necessary because the wackiness of the camera kind of uh bleeds out a lot of the tension in some of the scenes and that's not to say the whole movie is like this you know there's some parts of it that are really really amazing um my favorite scene uh is one where the the vincent price finds his camera guy and his camera guy's head has been cut out of his head i don't even know basically like somebody went in with an apple core and cored out everything like above his eyebrows and below his lips, or you know, opposite that. So like from just above your eyebrows to just below your lips, and then cheek to cheek, they just kind of like cut all of that out, like his skull, and like left somehow a circle there. <laughs> like I don't know where you start cutting and stop cutting to make that happen, but that's what he finds, and it's it's fucking wonderful. And then he looks at the screen. And the doctor, who is like one of the main antagonistic forces, sort of, uh, is is doing this creepy, creepy little stutter walk from screen to screen, uh, and the screens are in different parts of the the building. You know what I mean? They're they're from different cameras in different parts of the building, but he's walking from one camera to the next, and then to the next cla- camera, and to the next camera, and always getting closer uh, to the cameras themselves. And that's it's just wonderful, and that scared. Uh, the fuck out of me when I was a kid. That 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 literally terrified me to fucking pieces. That and one scene where somebody falls into a giant vat of blood. They get actually get dragged into it by a by a potentially possessed Tay Diggs, but it's not really him. He's in the hallway and he does the classic, "Hey, what are you doing?" And then the the, the thing. Oh no, um, which I actually do in uh in this season of. <laughs> In this season of uh, Scars in Time. It's one of my favorite. It's one of my favorite horror movie gags. It's a 90s gag. Man. Well, if you're there, then how is he over there? That kind of thing. Um, yeah, but, uh, you know, that, that's pretty much House on Haunted Hill, dude. Uh, I won't go into the plot. You should just enjoy it yourself and just mostly because it's not really there. Um, a lot of things are kind of abandoned halfway through. Uh, a lot of things are kind of thrown together. And, you know, it's all fuck it, fuck it, fuck it, that's why. Fuck it, that's why. Um, <laughs> Chris Kattan's a ghost at one point, which is c- ghost Chris Kattan will make you laugh you fucking ass off harder than any joke Chris Kattan has ever told in his life. Watch it. Watch it for the last five minutes of the film. Uh, you can catch it. I don't know where. I don't know where the fuck it's streaming. It's always somewhere. I think we saw it on Amazon Prime, and I was just like, oh, Sam, we have to watch this. We have to watch this right now. This is my childhood. I need it. I need it. Um But yeah, go check it out. Have a good time. Get drunk probably maybe a little bit before it if you are a consenting adult and in the mood for that sort of thing. Um, I wouldn't watch it too high because you'll be expecting the fucking guys to walk out of the goddamn screen at you and nobody wants that with that i am going to get to our 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 next and last ad read uh for this which isn't really going to be much of an ad read because i actually want to talk about this podcast because i like it so it's an ad read slash recommendation which if you uh if you ever send me some stuff and it ends up on the hlc i don't think as many people um in experience the hlc as they do the normal episodes just because you know some people are some people aren't aren't in here for that which is fine but um uh yeah if I if I end up doing an ad for you on this one it's gonna be much bigger so <laughs> that's simultaneously a warning to all of you people and uh, uh, hey come on come on and hang out with me money people so um I'll do, I'll do the ad read and then I'll talk about this uh, this podcast throughout time the world has been faced with questions that seem almost unanswerable is Bigfoot real why does a round pizza come in a square box. Why isn't there a podcast dedicated to all things Appalachia? This is where you start playing the, the, the music, like in the 90s. Can be like, a 90s commercial? Finally, we can answer one of them. Apodlatcha is a podcast that defines and defends the greatest region in the country. Through hilarious conversations, Big John and Chuck shed light on real issues, stories, and people that make Appalachia uniquely its own. Apodlatcha can't. app you can listen to appodlatcha anywhere you find your podcasts or at appodlatcha.com either i or they uh accidentally left a typo in there i'll blame it on myself i i i I fumbled that the first time i read through it so um appodlatcha man there is a real thing so i don't know if you guys don't know this by now it would be interesting but if you're a new listener and you're you're kind of you're kind of scooting through this with me um I, I base everything uh, in the West Side Fairy Tales, it, it's all basically based in West Virginia and everything that's not in West Virginia is on a spoke of a wheel of which the axle is, uh, the mountain state. And um, I, I do that for a very important reason. First off, like I fell in love with the place um, in the just the meager seven months that I lived there, you know, if you count all the other time that I spent there, it's maybe a year now, really. Um, but I, I really fucking love West Virginia. I, I, I always have. Um, I liked it even when I was in the military and I only just drove through it. It was the best part of driving from Camp Lejeune to Cincinnati is all this winding hills and stuff. And then all of a sudden you're just driving and fucking, there's Charleston, a the gigantic golden fucking dome in the middle of the, middle of the wilderness. There's this gigantic city. Um, well, I mean, gigantic is in, it fills most of the valley. So that's sufficient for me. I digress. Um, Appalachia is, uh, she's mistreated by people pretty routinely. And I would say not justifiably, but for, for, for some obvious reasons. Uh, App- Appalachia for some reason is picked on for being ignorant and, and backwards more than a lot of other states that rightly deserve it. You can say what you want about Appalachia or Appalachia, Jesus Christ. I'm going to be doing that the entire time I'm talking about this. Uh, unlike in Leth, North Dakota, no person has ever managed to almost successfully start up a white supremacist commune with legal standing in the state. Jesus Christ. Um, App- Appalachia is, is a very varied region and... Um, most of most of the people who really understand the history of that place will tell you it's a place where rich people have viciously taken taken advantage of 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 poor people and people looking for a shot and also a place where where those same sort of you know indigent or or impoverished or or immigrant folk have really just fucking tooth and nail clawed an existence out of existence out of some of the most hostile fucking terrain uh on earth dude like appalachia don't want you there like dude them fucking hills want you gone but if you if you can kind of if you can kind of learn to live with the land up there and, and and hang you can you can really like that that's your spot now that is your fucking place that's your holler hold it close um and you know there there is there's ignorance and racism in West Virginia and I'm not I would never deny that and the thing about West Virginia is because you can kind of isolate yourself real good you know uh, people tend to be, they, they wear their hearts on their sleeves, even if they're fucking racist. And you know, they'll, they'll be like, Oh yeah, I fucking love the Confederacy. They're trying to blah, 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 blah. And their, their ignorance is on display. Whereas in, in, in more quote unquote polite areas, like maybe even the one I live, Louisville, Kentucky, um, people are really good at hiding their racism and their ignorance and stuff. And, uh, but but that 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 kind of mountaineer spirit is is very unique to that place. You know what I mean? Uh, it is it is a place of 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 fucking dead ass socialist rebellions, uh, union pro union fights, uh, motherfucker, motherfucking mine workers, dead ass fought the national guard to a standstill until those pussies had to bring in a fucking airplane to drop bombs on them, dude battle of blair mountain look it up god bless those fucking tar blackened bad motherfuckers dude fuck yes um and it's 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 a, a region that's just always kind of in trouble. Um, it, it's it's a place that I really do think is kind of endemic of of all of the fights that are happening in America. Like the the battle for the soul of America is not in Washington D.C. It is not in L.A. or New York or even in fucking Cincinnati or Louisville. It isn't fucking Appalachia, dude. As that as that state goes, so really does go the country. I mean. It is, it is a place where all of the worst things that are happening to people in America are all on display and they're all right next to each other. The opioid epidemic, the, uh, the, the, the ignorant clinging to fossil fuels uh, long after they have, long, long after they've been anything close to viable as, a, as an employer or as a, as a, really even as a resource by which to gather energy um, as well as, you know, uh, on, the, on the good side, there's a lot of tech development. People just struggling to bring real shit to West Virginia all the time. Like, if you go to Sutton, West Virginia, you'll, there, you'll see a Trump flag, you'll see a Biden flag, and you'll see a lot of, 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 of empty buildings, but you can also find the, uh, the Flatwoods Monster Museum, man. You're just a person just holding on, like with bloody fingers to the cultural importance of that area, long after you know all the all the all the shit that the fucking Republicans are constantly lying about being able to bring back to that region is way fucking gone, and it's it's not coming back, guys. If you're a friend of coal, it's not happening. Nobody wants coal. It's never gonna fucking happen again. But the thing is, is you know, um, it's easy to shit on. West Virginia. Mostly because it's fucking hard to find a West Virginian. You know what I'm saying? They don't they're not obvious. Um, people from people from Charleston or Fayetteville, they don't have, you know, a crazy draw. Maybe sometimes they do. There's plenty of people that move there and take up the state. There's plenty of people that move away from there and, and lose their accent, or maybe they never even had one because they grew up in they grew up in fucking Moundsville and I don't know, their dad was a preacher, so they talk like a fucking preacher instead of a like they, like they grew up in the hills. Or they grew up in the hills and they just don't want to fucking come out and talk to you. They, they fuck, they're good. They live in Sofia. They don't fuck off. <laughs> um, and, you know, when people go there, they go to West Virginia for poverty porn and shit like that. And one of the things that I wanted to put in my writing is just a, a fair shake. I always want to give Appalachia the fair shake that other people fucking aren't giving it. And I want to say Appalachia right, which is Appalachia, not Appalachia. Uh, it's a thing. It's a real thing. People, people are mad, fucking pissed about that. Um, and at Podlatcha, the the podcast, they are great about that. That is really the, the 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 soul and goal of that entire podcast. Um, I I picked them up off recommendation of nothing. I was kind of just looking up other appalachia-based podcasts on twitter just to see if i could like hey man you guys want to you guys want to split some ad do some promo swapping and i found these guys and i ended up listening to them and their podcast is uh amazing it's it's and it's not just that i agree with them um they they highlight a lot of things that i don't know about they give platform to voices from the area um people that are Actually, trying to address the concerns, you know what I mean. Like, you, you, there, there's a lot of people in Washington D.C. Like Joe Manchin will go to Washington D.C. He's a senator from West Virginia. I have a funny story about him. Uh, you know, he'll go to he'll go to D.C. and he'll blah 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 opioid epidemic blah 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 blah. But Joe Joe Manchin has never never gets fucking anything done for the fucking Mountain State. He's a he's a, a Dixie Democrat who's just basically. Living on borrowed time, um, he's he's the guy when it's like oh one Democrat crossed over to the conservative side it's it's Joe Manchin every time he's bought and paid for, but you know I might not be a hundred percent right about that but uh, every time I've met him I was just like I fucking don't like your giant head. Um, they they give voices to other people. You know what I'm saying? Uh, people, local, local motherfuckers, and and that's that's good. And they're out there talking to these people, and, and and really trying to figure out what the fuck West Virginians want for and from West Virginia, and not just you know the most like fucking Confederate flagged up psychopath from Welch. Who just hunts for fucking news cameras every time CNN comes to town? Which, by the way, that happens if you don't know that. A lot of the times you'll see this. I've grown up in in West Virginia my whole life, and I'm part of these. I'm part of these hills. My dad worked these hills. I'm just a humble coal miner. I'm not. I never. Uh, I never con of know socialism. Blah 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 blah. And then if you actually like are from the area, you're like, why the fuck is he using that accent? That's fucking Phil. Phil works. Phil works for the fucking for fucking uh, what's it called? Mining. Like that dude doesn't talk like that. That guy drives a fucking seventy five thousand dollar Escalade in from Morgantown once every like six months to like tell people they're laid off. But every time that guy gets on TV, because you know they make sure they make sure they get them, yeah, they know who to call. That's who you see. So it's good to see somebody like these guys. More to the point, um, they're also kind of sticking out for stuff, and they they got a, a lot of heat recently, or, or or a lot of positive heat, so to say. I'm not I'm not sure um, against uh, the the fucking nightmare that is Hillbilly Elegy, which is a fucking goofy goofy fucking premise for a story uh anyway I haven't read the book don't don't judge me on that this is why I feel like I can talk about hillbilly elegy i'm gonna, I'm gonna hip you to this so I saw hillbilly Elegy by the way is a book written by a man named j a Vance whose uh immediate qualifications I was not aware of when i uh saw that there was a man giving a a uh a speech about I think I can't remember what it was about, but I think it was about representing like Appalachia or or, or pulling yourself up from your bootstraps as a, as a small author or some shit. Uh, and this was at the Charleston Book Fair in twenty sixteen, whatever year the, the the that came out. Um, you can look it up. He's probably on he's probably on the billing and whatever he did. But I was like, okay, Hillbilly Elegy, weird, weird title for a book. It must be a comedy um, in my mind, like maybe like a, like a semi-serious comedy. Because – and uh, if you don't know this, if you're not – if you didn't grow up like blue-collar, white trash white trash adjacent like I did um, – you might not like really understand like the, 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 the few like three subtleties of the word hillbilly. It's a very much like, it's a pejorative, right? Whatever. I'm not going to sit here and compare it to the fucking, like the N word or, or, or real dead ass racial slurs, but it is a pejorative and it has been levied at me, uh, in the past and at people I love by other people I love, uh, and not in a kind way. And, um, it's got its own sort of meaning, uh, at least where I come from. And I I was I, I'm from the west side of Cincinnati, Price Hill neighborhood. My family jokingly calls each other Price Hillbillies, uh, and and people like us who are functionally speaking, just like loud, uh, obnoxiously loud, often drunk, you know, Scots-Irish, German immigrant. Type white people, the kind of people that live on the west side of Cincinnati, and uh, and they don't mind their manners in public. That's like a hillbilly. It's not, it's not a a thing. It's not a word that you would associate uh, class with, or or um, or your the amount of money in your fucking pocketbook. Like that's what white trash is. Uh, white trash elegy would be uh, that would make sense. And now that I know what the book is. To a degree about white trash elegy would probably have been a better title. Um, but but New York people don't know these things because they think you know like, like these East Coast types and if, if you're if you're from fucking the East Coast and shit and even if you're like poor or something, that word uh, is probably not something that you, you really come across because you ain't got them hills. Like we got the hills here. And that's them hillbillies. Or, or, or worse, hill people. Hill people is some shit. Hill people elegy is a that would be a fucking horror movie. That's that's fucking dope. But hillbilly is like it, it, it transcends class. It's just it's obnoxious, dumb fuck white people. That's what it is. Uh hillbilly is what uh people in New York call us. <laughs> If that is a, It is a word that makes me feel like a fucking, like a Fox News watcher. I swear to God. Those hillbillies out there, they just don't know. Like, what you're actually trying to say is white trash. Garth Brooks is a fucking hillbilly. Or not maybe not Garth Brooks. What's that other one? The one that sings about the red solo cup. That's a fucking hillbilly. That dude's a hillbilly. He makes fucking hillbilly music. He also makes probably 13, 14 fucking dollars or thousand or 14 million dollars a year. That's hillbilly shit. Um the fucking dude that sings sings stranglehold. He is a, a premium hillbilly. Like that's what that is. He's, he's a fucking Billy, dude. He, fuck Billy's. Billy's Billy's are dumb. Billy's fight at the drop of a hat. It doesn't matter how much fucking money they have. It doesn't matter how well dressed they are. They, they'll come out. They'll, they'll start. Now oh, you motherfucker. That, that's how you can tell. If you get a you motherfucker from somebody, that that that's that's Billy shit. All right, Billy. I see you. I see you. Now white trash. That is, that is a pejorative for your, for your money situation. If you say white trash about a rich person, you're really calling into the, like, really in the question their, their upbringing. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, they're fucking white trash. Like Basically, it's like saying bougie. You're, 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 you're a bougie rich person that has no fucking, no fucking class. And it, it, it's, it, it, it's, there's subtleties to it, but that really evokes a certain type of image, especially in my mind, uh that is something that's a word you really, you really wouldn't just fucking bust out. You call somebody white trash and you fucking you got to fight. there's white people that don't know this. I swear to God. Um if I if I'm out there, if I'm out here right now and I'm I'm speaking to the choir, I assure you I've had to have this conversation with people I know that are actually like upper class white folk and they don't understand the difference. They don't know when to say the words either. It's like, oh It must be like when Jaden Smith like, first met somebody that's actually from a bad neighborhood. And he's like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> but that's the thing is uh, if you're going to talk like that, you got to walk like that. You know what I'm saying? Um, there, there's just like a, there's a feel. Because you wouldn't say that word where I'm from. Or those words, you wouldn't you wouldn't say that about people, or or even really kind of like out loud, like, oh, that's hillbilly. <laughs> without without somebody being like, what the fuck do you mean? Were you trying to you trying to cast aspersions and some shit, man? I work fucking hard for my money. Like the, the, that's the conversation you'll start. It's not like a, a real racial slur where you know your, your fucking whole life could and maybe even in, it should end to a degree, not not physically, but you know, fiscally. Uh, but you can you can you can start some shit off. You can pop some you can you can you can get fucking clocked over hillbilly a little bit. White trash, you get fucked up. But calling a book white trash elegy would actually mean something. And talking like that, you know, you'd think that somebody that named their book that would have a feel to them. You know, like maybe come from where I'm from. So I'm like, okay, who's got the fucking nut to call this book hillbilly elegy? Because this sounds like something a fucking, like, first-year creative writing student who's, like, mad about Fox News would name, I don't know, a revenge, <laughs> revenge story. Uh, and so I go to see this guy, and the dude that's talking is some fucking accountant, right? And um, he's wearing, like, a blue shirt and fucking khakis. He's He's got, he just stands soft. He's got hands that look like they're uh, as, as fucking smooth as kitten pussy. Like, a fucking ridiculous Uh, soft boy, you know, which is fine. You know, you can grow up poor and white and and still, you know, you can be effeminate if you want and stuff, but just that kind of getting raised that kind of way puts a hardness on you. You know what I mean? Like, you eventually you're going to have to scrap with somebody. Eventually you're going to have to get your ass kicked or you've gotten your ass kicked. And that that, that that wears on people and you can kind of see it in them. So I'm watching this accountant talk and then he never shuts up. And then I realize he's the fucking author. I'm looking at J.A. Vance. There he is. And I'm just like, what? And I, I, I just remember him talking about something along the experiences of growing up poor. And I was like, but really though? And, you know, I'm never one to fucking really question somebody's story like outright. i always I always give everybody this the the benefit of the doubt because you never know. but he just he just struck me as like, no, no like if i if i if I pointed that dude up if I pointed that guy out to like my dad or my uncle's, and I was like, do you think that guy grew up in a fucking like a like a trailer park outside of Dayton? <laughs> like no." what are you talking about that dude's from the east side of cincinnati that motherfucker ain't never he's never not worn a rolex in his life oh my god that dude's never walked to school (laughs) he got to carpool he got to carpool three blocks um i'm just talking shit uh but you know, whatever. And then I find out I get deeper into this, and Podlatcha, man, they started talking about this, this, this dude, and he was—he's a fucking like he's like a trust fund baby from like New Hampshire or some shit that like flew into to I, I think it wasn't even like really Appalachia. I think it was like more like the Ohio River Valley, like where I'm from. <laughs> Uh, which is like foothills or whatever, but like like over in that area, like he would like fly in and hang out with his grandma for a day and I guess maybe get picked on <laughs> and fly back. I like so and then one thing I do know is that you can absolutely avoid the hillbilly elegy because these guys have these guys have read it, they've consumed it and they're like, no. And, and the good thing is that they're going out there and doing the Lord's work because, like I said earlier, guys like that, and this dude, this dude I fucking looked into him even more, and he's some fucking cocksucker, uh, conservative pack member who's one of these dudes that's like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Anybody can do it. And it's like, what if you were born without bootstraps? <laughs> well, steal them. But you know the Appalachia guys—they're—they're—they're they're, they're on the case with this sort of stuff, and it's good that that they're out there, um, kind of like you know leading the charge on this stuff because this guy and his dumb fucking book are now on Netflix, like, and and it's another fucking, not even another nail in the coffin, just another fucking punch in the face, another fucking hit with the brick to to Appalachia and and the people that actually live there and the stories that that matter from that region. And, then, you know, that sucks. But I'm glad that people like iPod Latcha are are fucking on these dudes. They started up a gigantic campaign that got a bunch, a bunch of heat behind it. And uh, got a lot of people to say, you know, fuck, uh, fuck Jay Vance and fuck Hillbilly Elegy. And uh, I honestly, I hope the dude never writes another book. Fuck him. <laughs> and, and and that's that's the end of the advertisement. <laughs> Please go uh, go check out Appodlacha out at appodlatcha.com That's a p p o d l a c h i a dot com. Appod we'll We'll put a link in the description of this video if you want to just go ahead and, and click it. It'll send you right there. So our last recommendation of the night is. The uh, webcomic Unsounded by Ashley Cope. This is, uh, this is one of my favorite little comics like ever made. I don't, don't let that sound uh, dismissive at all. Uh, by, by little, I mean it's like this. It's been going on for years longer than I've been creating on the internet. And uh, she operates at a whole higher level than me. This is... Uh, this is just, it's just great. It's one of those things where it's kind of hard to talk about how good it is because it's such a visual medium, and it doesn't do anything particularly new that kind of I can, like, describe apart from other things. It just does comic stuff so well. It deserves to be really well known. Um, it, it's, it's also, unfortunately... Um, just for description's sake, it's a high fantasy uh, setting. So um, it follows the story of Set Fromagum and uh, Dwayne, the... uh, I can't even remember what the hell they're called. He is a uh, reanimated corpse of a man named Dwayne who has all of Dwayne's memories and regrets and feelings, if none of his blood flow. And uh, Set is a very short uh, young girl with a tail... Um, who is extraordinarily agile and likes to stick people with her little dagger. And uh, she's a criminal. And she is the criminal or the daughter of the uh, king criminal, Neri Frumigam of, of Shardashane, which is a uh, region in this extremely expansive and lore dense world. That's one of the reasons I say it's unfortunately high fantasy because if I talk, excessively about any of the plot i am going to have to stop every five seconds to explain uh entire words and concepts which will within those words and concepts also require uh deviations for explanation so just trust me when i say it is an extremely deep and detailed fantasy world um these two are tasked Basically, with uh, having set go and find her uncle stockyard who um, is a uh, minor head of a of a little cartel that's outside of Chardashan, and she's gonna go check on him and make sure he's he's doing what he need to do for her dad um, and uh, this will, uh, according to her dad, who is a uh, lying piece of shit. And a criminal uh, increase her in his esteem. Dwayne doesn't really have anything else to do. He's being promised something. I can't remember exactly what it is, but, you know, it's a thief's promise. He's given a thief's promise by this man um, to accompany her. Dwayne is a very, very talented, oh, I think he's called a white. He's a, a very talented magician of sorts. He's a sorcerer, what they call. It, it, it's got its own name in the universe he's a sorcerer he can use magic uh, very very effectively it's one of many types of of magic and summoning in this world and uh he's basically sent along as sets heavy uh set is like i said is, is basically she's like 12 ish at least physically and uh Duane is a, a, a older man in his mid-30s at least he was before he died and uh, they, go a, they go on a sick-ass adventure and then from there, so many different creatures and concepts and areas are introduced that I really, I really can't, uh, I really can't get into it. I'm hesitant because you know how I like to divert just for the smallest thing, uh, for larger things, it will go completely off of the rails. Um, suffice to say, um, I, I read the hell out of this up until like a year and a half ago when I had to take a pause and I forgot where I was and there's so much of it that I was like, Oh, I'm going to have to reread like the most recent section and then so much time passed. And I'm like, God damn it. Now I'm going to have to reread the whole thing. And I wanted to, and I'm so sorry that I didn't read it in time for this, but I, I I'm not kidding. Everything that I said about this, uh, in my recommendation holds very, very true. Uh, the the best thing about this, um, the best obvious thing about this, is the artwork. Um, there are there eventually will be probably some web comics or comics that I'll recommend that won't have particularly wonderful or engaging or inventive artwork. I would say that um, Cope's artwork isn't particularly avant garde, um, but it's extremely extremely competent in it's in it's, its wheelhouse. You know, you're not going to see um, a lot of, not, if I say it, you're not going to see a lot of artistic panels. That's, that's going to sound uh, diminutive of her. But you won't see a lot of, you know, high concept, crazy shit, you know. Uh, but it's a lot of really, really, really good art. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for you know, when you, when you find me at a loss for words, it either means that I've been talking too long and I'm running out of them, or I'm actually just I'm actually just awestruck by how incredible something is. Um, to boil it down a little bit tinier, one thing that um, Cope does that I, I can say she does better than most. Other uh, artists that I follow online is expressions. Her um, characters emote and interact very, very well. And um, obviously she didn't invent the concept of expressions or of drawing expressions effectively, uh, which is why it's not avant-garde. But um, she's so effective at it that a lot of the uh, non- human characters in this and there are many non-human characters there's whole subspecies and all of that and, and and different races and there's monsters and demons and there's gods that are gigantic crow women with eight tits and uh, feats that are all capable of expressing themselves both bodily and through their faces and it's all extremely well done um, her settings are are vivid, and her characters are extremely interesting. Um, the multiple different the, the different continents all have their their own different genetic makeup. One of the most interesting things is that the uh, the continent where you would normally typically probably find uh, your quote unquote protagonists in most works, i.e. the one that's all white people, is uh, hilariously racist, not against people of different skin color but of people of different hair color which is very it's a very interesting system that i i really like um and so basically there are six or seven different hair colors i won't get too into it but like blonde is one of the uh lower hair colors and I think, like, blue or something of that nature is the absolute lowest. And then there's, like, platinum hair, plaits, and there's, like, higher ones, like ruddy hair, uh, red hair. And they actually have different lifespans. So uh, some of them, like the red-haired ones, I think they can live for something in the, the ballpark of six or 700 years. Blondes tend to live as much as, as long as, as typical humans. There are typical humans outside of this area. Um, And uh, there's like the blue hair ones that live only like 10 or 15 years. And uh, along with the color of their hair, this is the super magical society. There is more and less of their type of magic that they practice, that they are allowed to practice, first off. And uh, also that they are capable of doing with some of the longer lived uh, casts. Being able to um, do some pretty pr- pretty radical and impressive magics, and, and of course even that system is subverted and, and said to be uh, possibly possibly a lie. And then outside of that, you have like Chardeshein, which are um, they I don't know they're all all different sort of races that we would consider races in in, in America. Um, then you have I think it's Redain, um, I, I'm, I'm messing up the names of the countries, but don't even worry about it. And that's a country of all people with, uh, typically African features, including naturally, uh, curly, tight, curly hair and, uh, and dark skin. And they are their own, um, place and they are in a, they are in a sketchy sort of, um, I think they're a monarchy of some sorts, an empirical monarchy, and they are at odds with the, uh, the super magic-y people, of which Dwayne is a, uh, a member. And um, no one even really knows if Set is uh, actually a human or not because she's missing certain anatomical features that would uh, denote her as actually being born of a human being. Uh, and then in addition to that, they have like lizard people and like dog people type things and 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 gross God creatures with, it's fucking, it's awesome. Dude, just go check it out. Check it out before I embarrass myself talking about it. But all of these things um, are extremely detailed and and really well done. There's a wiki for it, for the, uh, for, the, for the story, if you want to follow along. The lore is sufficiently deep. You may need it, uh, especially considering um, she uses what you would basically call uh, independent pronouns, uh, or independent nouns for everything. So you know, even magic is never just magic um in in things like that. You know, a spell is never just a spell. It's a, a, a binding or a bond or whatever it is in this. But it's all very interesting and I, I really like it and I can't recommend it enough. Um I'm going to start rereading it um Basically tonight, I wish I had time to reread it, but I'm also kind of glad I didn't. My my recommendation can stand even if something's not particularly fresh in my mind. This isn't a uh, critique or a review; it's a recommendation, and uh, my feelings on it I find are are much more valuable than uh, the freshness of it in my mind. That said, um, go and check it out. Again, it is called Unsounded. You can read it at slash unsounded. Uh, I don't know why it's at casualvillain. I think that was uh, Ashley Cope's website before this started. And, you know, hey, once you get locked into a domain, you're kind of fucked. But, um, Go check that out and uh, you know, let me know what you think. If you guys want to talk to me about any of the stuff that I discussed on this episode, please, I'm always around. Hit me up on Facebook. The West Side Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club is a group that you can join. It's Obviously, it's free to join. It's very, uh, very low pressure. It's a hangout group. We talk about horror. We talk about whatever books we've been reading. Music you've been listening to, and you know, stuff like that. It, it's really chill. And you can always come in and talk about the show, talk about the recommendations. We'll have a thread for the recommendations uh, for this episode up soon. So pop on by. That's facebook.com slash Westside Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club. We also have just the show itself online. Um or this is the show page itself uh, online on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Westside Fairy Tales. If Twitter is your thing at WS Fa- f- at WS Fairy Tales. If Parlor is your thing, miss me with that weak shit. And uh, also check me out on YouTube, youtube.com, West Side Fairy Tales. I am going to, as soon as I'm caught up with stuff that I need to do for the people that actually pay me to live, I will I will start doing reviews of horror uh, movies and stuff on there again. And also you can, you can listen to all the podcast episodes there. You can listen to the, uh, random different things that I do. And occasionally I do live reads of stories or, um, uh, book club things during the summer months that you can check up, uh, when, whenever you get a second. So go ahead and check those out. And of course, if you want to support the show please 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 go to patreon.com/westsidefairytales slash and just give us a buck man for $1 helps keep the show going you're going to get instant access to a ton of stuff and you know one day early or more instant access to uh, all of the all of the episodes that come out including hlc hornley club episodes like this and westside fairytales regular story episodes five dollars and more that's kind of like when you're really in the door and that's gonna get you access to the special ebooks of the episodes and um, behind the story episodes where I talk about my motivations and uh, things I was thinking about before I before I started writing and ten dollars and more gets you access to merch, all kinds of super early uh, the episodes come out like two weeks early. Uh, or more sometimes on that i think i released the first episode like a month early for this season so you know if you end up liking this and you want to support us at that level hit us up and twenty dollars or more you can get posters and stuff and i think i think i might be in fifty dollars or more you get your own story printed out fifty dollar people i am for sure going to be sending a uh a printout or something of this entire season's story to i might um Might have, and I think I might end up just uh, self-publishing the the book version of the podcast, and then um, you know you'll be able to buy it like a novel. And uh, you know, hey, sign up to the Patreon, and if you're if you're on there at the right time, you might end up getting uh, a novel version of Scars in Time. Who knows, who knows? It's a mystery at this point. But uh, if you want to get something in your hands that's physical right away, um, other than the $10 and $20 tiers there, go to westsidefairytales.com slash merch and, uh, and buy a t-shirt, man. You can walk around wearing this show like a skinned animal. Just have my, have my logo emblazoned on your chest. If you got one of the white shirts and I got a marker and you find me in the wild, I will sign that motherfucker for you. And then you'll have a, a, a dope-ass memento to carry around with you, maybe even be buried in. You know, hey, if you're going to rot, why not rot with me right there over your heart? <laughs> and I think that's a good place to wrap it up. It's a, it's a fairly ridiculous place, if anything. Um, and until next time. As always, oh, actually, before I even say that, uh, don't forget, next week, I think. God, is it next week? Damn, next week we got another episode coming out. Scars in Time, Chapter 5. The town, no. The mayor? Yes, the mayor. Scars in Time, Chapter 5, the mayor comes out next week. Please check it out and you know share this everywhere. Please put us on Reddit, whatever the hell floats your boat. And until next time, as always, stay safe out there. Something's not quite right in the quiet mountain town of Targrady, West Virginia. Months after a local teen was lynched in the dead of a hot summer night, two men stand charged with murder in what the majority opinion considers to be an open and shut case. But Adelaide Stevenson, a young crime reporter from Charleston, is finding out the smallest cracks in the official narrative run far, far deeper than she could have ever expected. Join Adelaide and West by God as she navigates small-town secrets, the dubious ethics of her own profession, and the dark whispers of an ancient creature, known to some as the Witcham Woman, who prowls the shadowed hollers that lie between night and nightmare. Sent on overnight assignment to cover the start of the trial, Adelaide quickly realizes the story she's been told, and been telling, doesn't make sense. Cryptic assertions of a concrete alibi are emailed to her by the family of the accused. Nobody in town seems comfortable discussing the basic facts of the case, and the murder she's been writing about wasn't the only tragic death this summer. Adelaide extends her stay against the wishes of her editor, and her investigations take a complicated and dangerous turn as she discovers the true depths of the mysteries surrounding Targrady. The only real evidence from the night of the murder may lie in the hands of a notorious local crime family led by an enigmatic woman known as the Fetid Queen. Local authorities seem to grow more hostile by the hour, and even Adelaide's own career might not survive this assignment. Featuring an eclectic cast of characters ranging from violent and horrifying to outlandish and fabulous, West by God is a must-read novel for anybody who enjoys Twin Peaks, Stephen King, and all the creepy places you find just off the path in the woods. It is the debut novel of Tyler Bell, a USMC infantry combat veteran, former crime and courts reporter for the Charleston Daily Mail, and creator of the award-winning West Side Fairy Tales horror and dark fiction podcast. Due for release by Henlow Press in October of 2023. Learn more at westsidefairytales.com slash westbygod.